You are a people leader or an HR professional working hard to create an amazing employee experience for your team and your organization. But between the operational tasks of your job, managing emotions and politics, both up and down the corporate ladder, and trying to find some semblance of work-life integration in your own life, I suspect you are also overwhelmed and burnt out. If even the thought of navigating the complicated world of mental health at work probably seems like too much to handle, let this podcast be your not-so-secret weapon to help fix that. I am your host, Lindsay Recknell, and my mission is to help great leaders like you feel less awkward and more confident talking about mental health at work so you can stress less, take more action, and continue to make a valuable difference in your job as a leader, positively impacting the lives of your people. I'll be bringing you the experts, insights, and actions that will give you the skills you need to navigate mental health in the workplace and foster a workplace where everyone's mental health can thrive. Hello, I have a really thoughtful and intelligent guest to introduce you to today. Jane Chun is the Program Director at the Compassion Institute, overseeing work in the health and systems transformation sectors. Jane's expertise includes program development, change facilitation, partnership development, and research and learning. Jane has worked with intergovernmental and nonprofit organizations, including UNICEF, UNDP, IOM, and Search for Common Ground. She's also conducted research for institutions such as the Brookings Institution, Oxford Refugees Studies Center, and Vietnam Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Development. Throughout the pandemic, Jane and her team have supported the mental health of healthcare and public health workers on the front line of the pandemic. Through her experience in a wide range of settings, she has come to believe that deep social and systems transformation can only occur hand-in-hand with inner transformation. Jane believes that focusing primarily on what we do is not enough. We need to also inquire into how and why we do that work. I had a really great time with Jane in this conversation, and I think you'll learn a ton. Let's get to Jane's episode. Before we get started, I want your time to be valuable here. So in order to get the most from this podcast, head to my website at mentalhealthforleaders.com and download the Guide to Influence and Impact at Work which has the step-by-step action plan you'll need to embed a focus on mental health into the employee experience of your workplace. It's totally free, and it'll give you the start to your action plan, steps to follow to create engagement, to build a budget, and a method to measure the value, influence, and impact that you are going to be making as you lead this transformational change in your organization. We haven't been taught the mental health skills we need to truly lead our organizations into the future. So let this guide and this podcast be the advantage you need to elevate your career, your leadership skills, and the positive impact you'll bring to your organization. Head to mentalhealthforleaders.com and download the free guide to influence and impact at work now. The opportunity is yours, and I cannot wait to see what you'll do. All right, now let's get to our guest. Hello, Jane. It is wonderful to have you here. Hi, Lindsay. It's so great to be here. I can't even wait for this conversation. We've been waiting for so long, it feels like. I mean, it hasn't been that long, but I've been eagerly anticipating it. So maybe let's start off. Could you share with the audience who you are, what you do, and who you serve? Sure. Uh, So I am a program director at the Compassion Institute, uh, where I oversee our programs and work in the health sector and in systems transformation I'm a change designer and facilitator. Um, And one of the things I really love about my job is that I get to connect to and listen to organization leaders and um, together with my team, support them and their people to 
cultivate the skills and capacity and culture of self and collective care in their workplace. Ooh, I, I love that language, <laughs> self and collective care. Yeah, Could you share a little bit more? What does what does that mean? And how do how do we do it at work? Why do we do it at work? Is the, this feels new? Yeah, great juicy question. Um, and we can spend hours talking about this. But basically, what we're talking about is um, just the permission to be human, really, at work. And recognizing that we're all people, we have experiences at home, we have histories um, that we're bringing to in each moment. And um, it's just about also prioritizing and caring for ourselves and each other as we do the work rather than kind of pretend we're robots. Um, And yeah, just being human at work. Mm, I love that being human at work because we are human and we are not robots. I like that a lot. Um, So compassion at work is not something that's always been accepted. How, like what kind of barriers do you experience when you say to folks, I work at the Compassion Institute? Do you? Tell me more about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, So compassion can be quite a a loaded word. (laughs) Um, And sometimes it even has religious connotations and there are a lot of some misperceptions. Um, I think the most common one is that um, people think that compassion is about kind of being nice all the time, maybe being a doormat, saying yes um, to whatever people want. Um, But actually, and there's a whole field of compassion science that's based in neuroscience and contemplative science, um, and also neuroanatomy, but um, yeah, compassion requires courage, just as vulnerability requires courage. Um, it's it's you know it can be easier to just kind of react out of our habitual conditioning and um, habits in each moment. It takes um, more intention and courage to really do what feels right and best serves the situation, the people I'm leading and myself. Um, So yeah, in, in what we do, we bring in a lot of science and evidence. Um, It's really important to us that our offerings are evidence-based and it's quite countercultural. But I think there's there's a movement. There's a movement. And if, you know, if there's something that we're taking out of this um, very challenging time of the pandemic, I think one of those things is that, you know, our workplaces currently, as they're set up, are not working. And um, people are really ready for change. They're ready to be seen as human, um, to feel uh, like they matter, in the workplace and they're hurt. Mm. 
Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. I love that language of countercultural because I think, yeah, we are we are making organizational transformation. I feel like we're on this cusp almost of the tipping over that point. You know, five years ago, we could talk about these things, but it wasn't commonly accepted. Um, we sure as heck wouldn't have had a podcast about it, for goodness <laughs> sakes, mental health for leaders. Get out of here. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of exciting to think about what, the future of work looks like, what the new culture in work looks like um, with the research that you and your colleagues are doing at the Institute and, and talking about. Could you share, um, I, I want to talk about the science because that's my jam. Um, yeah. But before we get there, can you talk about or give us a definition of compassion, your definition? Because of course, it's going to it's gonna alter, um, be different for, for many people. But your definition of compassion and how that might differ from empathy, because often those two words are used together or interchangeably. Yeah. Thank you so much for asking that question. Um, so when we talk about compassion, it's quite simple. It's fundamentally, it's recognizing that there's suffering in the person in front of me and my colleague, um, I'm struggling, um, collectively we're struggling. And then it's followed by this, um, like a desire and, or just taking action to alleviate it. And um, we always emphasize that compassion is inherent, right? We don't, we're not teaching anyone to be compassionate. Um, as human beings, we naturally have this quality and tendency, and even in the the research, um, you know, young children, toddlers exhibit helping behavior spontaneously. You know, they'll they'll choose to help someone over playing with their favorite toy. For example, we see it in primates and animals. It's very natural, but the thing is that our society and our education, our workplaces, can kind of train it out of us. And it's not a rewarded quality, right? Kindness, being compassionate isn't um, necessarily on the on the list of things that, you know, um, society encourages us to pursue. Um, so, yeah, that's the definition of compassion. Um, and as I mentioned, there's a there's a wide field of research Um that shows that compassion is natural and the benefits of compassion as well um, for ourselves. And well, we can get into that um, later, but um, just back to your question about the difference between compassion and empathy. Um, I'm really glad you brought this up because, you know, unless you're a, a compassion geek, like, like us, um, you know, we tend to use empathy and compassion interchangeably. And um, so empathy is also a natural response to, to suffering, right? Um, if I see you, for example, just bang your elbow by accident against the wall, I'll feel some, you know, I might feel some pain in my elbow. I might kind of wince. So I'm feeling what the other person feels, or I can imagine what the other person feels, um, but distinguishing empathy from compassion is really important, especially when we're talking about burnout. Um, 
also in professions that are kind of um, geared toward caring for others or mission-driven around a lot of suffering. Um, Because empathy, when we witness the pain of others, activates the pain centers of my own brain. So just as I feel your pain, right, I'm kind of taking on your suffering in a way, right? I'm experiencing what you're experiencing as well. And empathy is important because it alerts us to something important happening. It motivates us to care, right? Take action. Um, But too much empathy for too long can lead to empathic distress. And distress is overwhelming for our nervous system. We're ironically, then we're more likely to actually turn away and disengage, shut down, actually become more self-oriented, no longer other-oriented. And empathic distress, like any other distress, is associated with burnout and poor health outcomes. Um, And so when we feel empathy, part of what we support folks um, in is to move from the empathy into compassion. And with compassion, we're in a kind of the mammalian caregiving system. We're in a state of care. And it looks very different, not only in the nervous system, but also in the brain. Um, and the, the areas of the brain that are activated are different. Um, they include the reward centers. So compassion feels rewarding and sometimes described as a warm glow Um, There's this phrase, helpers high, right? We feel good when we help other people. Um, There's a lot of research on the benefits of volunteering into old age and health outcomes. Um, Compassion also activates the motor function areas of our brain. So we want to approach, right? I want to give you a hug, um, make contact with you, um, and also the affiliation areas of the brain. So I feel a sense of connection with you. Um, So essentially, while empathic distress is dysregulating, right, and I'm kind of dysregulating together (laughs) with you, um, compassion is, you know, I'm being with the suffering, I care, but I'm auto-regulating, I'm regulating myself, my own nervous system. And as we know from experience of being around a calm presence, you know, when we're having moments of crises or suffering, I'm also helping to co-regulate the other people around me. Oh, that's incredible. I've never heard it described that way before, Jade. I mean, science nerd over here. You And you made it seem so, like, it, it's so real. It feels so simple. The um, I... I'm a hugely strong believer that compassion has the power to change the world. And when you just spoke about how it activates the reward centers in our brain, how, you know, like Mr. Rogers says, look for the helpers, you know, it, it activates those positive chemicals in our bodies. Could we have more proof that compassion is good for us? There's so much proof out there. Oh my heavens. (laughs) Which is so, so exciting. And I mean, it must help to have this research, to have this evidence, and to have 
the future potential of this future of the the evidence, it must really help in your conversations with organizations who look at you and go, heaven help us, we're going to talk about fluffy cosmic woo-woo again. Does it help? Is it helpful? One of the Uh things we talk about is connecting to people who maybe aren't believers quite yet. Um, Does it help? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, skepticism is good. You know, you know, we don't want to believe everything that everyone says. So it's, it's very helpful that we have this research and we're able to do this work also because the research exists. Um, So yeah, usually in our work, we lead with the research. Um, There's a lot of psychoeducation that's involved. Um, Knowledge is the first step. Awareness is the first step. So um, usually we're talking about a lot of the, the research and science out there. Um, and there's a lot of research in specific sectors as well. You know, it's, um, not just, um, kind of broad neuroscience research, but there's, you know, there are entire books devoted to the benefits of compassion in the health sector, for example, um, or the benefits of compassionate leadership. So, um, yeah, enormously helpful. And to be honest with you, because compassion is so loaded, um, I usually, I usually go with self and collective care because it's talking about the same thing, um, minus the, all the, the baggage that can, yeah, the, yeah, the stigmatism that comes with it. Yeah. 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 Which is unfortunate, but you know, um, that's, you know, there's a lot of, um, culture and history to, to that word. Which is kind of, so it's kind of exciting for me to have this conversation with you and to hear you use compassion in the same way that I use the word hope. So longtime listeners to the podcast know that I have a second podcast called Hope Motivates Action all around the positive psychology and the science of hope. And I think hope has a PR problem. Clearly, compassion has a PR problem because once you... Once we have conversations like this, once you deliver workshops in organizations and all of those skeptics go, oh, I prejudged this word. I prejudged this science. It must feel so good. At least that's what it feels like when I go into organizations and talk about hope. People just get it. Intuitively, we're proving what they already know and opening their minds. It, it It's so good. Yeah, I mean, you're 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 preaching to the the choir it's 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 interesting because um you know i think it takes curiosity right to to change our preconceptions and it's really hard to change our mind once we've made it um there's research out there that shows that it can even feel physically painful <laughs> the act of trying to change our minds um, so yeah, I, I love, I love that you have another podcast on hope, uh, so important, especially right now. Um, and yeah, it's, it's enormously rewarding to witness that moment when people have the, you know, the light bulb go off. Um, and, you know, I, I do want to just, um, emphasize that, to cultivate a habit, it takes practice, right? So just like, you know, learning how to scuba dive, you have to put in a certain number of hours. 
um, learning how to play an instrument, you know, and I think we're, what I often see in, in the spaces where we are is, um, kind of, there's this, there's a bias toward just absorbing knowledge. Um, and we can read all the books in the world, but if we don't kind of try them out in our own lives, try out these skills and ways of being, um, then really it's just, you know, books sitting on a bookshelf. So, um, I think it's this, this mindset of, um, curiosity and experimentation, which comes also with failure sometimes, making mistakes, but just understanding, you know, that's part of the learning process. That's the only way we're going to um, um, try out a new way of being that, you know, really we haven't intentionally tried out most of our lives. Um, or maybe we did when we were little, but we got it trained out of us. Well, and that's what I wanted to ask you about next, because you you said at the beginning that um, compassion is inherent in all of us. You know, the kids naturally respond that way. So you're not training this skill, but you are cultivating this trait. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. So basically, you can think of it like a seed in the ground. And maybe it's a, a s- small sprout. <laughs> But, you know, as all the gardeners know, if, you know, how you care for that plant will determine how it grows or not. So while the seeds are there, if we um, neglect compassion instead, um, emphasize other qualities that might be in competition with being caring, being kind, then that seed is not going to flourish. So... Um, what we do is we create the spaces and we try to normalize self and collective care and compassion as a necessary skill. It's a life skill. And um, if we want to live together in this diverse world with diff- people having different opinions, and we have to know how to care for each other and ourselves. You are speaking my language, sister. It's so good. <laughs> I mean, even even um, um, where you're saying about like that, that analogy of, of of the garden and the seeds and the growing makes a ton of sense. Um, practicing makes makes a ton of sense. Curiosity. Curiosity is one of my top three uh, values in life, and mm. we try to bring it into this work so so much. Is there um, are there any misunderstandings about compassion that you run into from the skeptics that we haven't talked about yet? I think what I haven't talked about is um, sometimes just seeing the word compassion is immediately a (laughs) no-go. Yes. So uh, we can't even start the conversation, which is really unfortunate. Um, And... I think there's also this perception that, you know, it's unnecessary or it's kind of frivolous. It's a, it's not a necessary hard skill, right? How to do things, how to get things done, but it's a quote soft skill. 
Um, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I um, hate that word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we'll need to find different words for this. Um, but I mean, it's, there's so much research that just, you know, if you if you look at the research, you can't deny how critical compassion is um, in the in the healthcare setting. Um, just a few moments of kindness from an anesthesiologist before a surgery will affect the the recovery time, how well someone recovers. Um, Perceiving that your doctor is uh, cares about you um, helps to it actually increases whether or not you're likely to follow through with your treatment plan or the treatment plan for your child. Right? We're, Amazing. We think, we think we're rational beings. We make rational decisions all the time, but we're not. We're emotional beings. And we walk around with our nervous systems that are constantly assessing, is this safe? Is this a threat? Right? And if we're not aware of what's going on internally, then we're just kind of reacting in these ways that um, are likely to cause harm in some situations. Right? And, And as leaders, you know, there's a responsibility in in of the experience that people have in your organization every day, I feel. And, um, you know, if we're going to spend a third of our or more of our um, working or our, our lives at work, then why not create an environment that is more humane and caring? Mm-hmm. And creating all those good, feel-good chemicals in our brain at the same time. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned leaders having responsibility, and I completely agree. I think we all have a responsibility, actually. Um, you know, leaders are are hired and paid more to to take on some of that burden. How, like, how can leaders be intentional about? cultivating a culture of compassion within their teams and the greater organization. What advice do you have for the leaders and HR professionals that are listening to this show? Yeah, there's so much we can go into. Um, And I think, you know, this actually you're taking me back to why I got into this work in the first place, because I witnessed harm being done in organizations where the mission is to serve others, right? In the humanitarian space, in the international development space. And that showed me um, what happens when we're not aware of, when we don't have that self-awareness. So my first piece of advice would be, if you're not already, to just, consider the skill of emotional intelligence and self-awareness and just spending some time, um, you know, intentionally cultivating that. Um, That's just basic, like, situational awareness, right? Um, And just kind of making a commitment that to um, just recognizing how important it is how I perceive the world, how I perceive others 
is going to affect every decision I make, the, the actions I take, right? And it's those moment-to-moment decisions and actions that create the systems that we're in together, right? Um, another piece of advice I think would be, you know, you've, we've talked about curiosity, just to listen and be curious there's a, a real social pressure, as you know, for leaders to have all the answers all the time. I mean, it's impossible for one person to, to know everything. Um, so, yeah, just being curious, having a, a learning mindset. And um, I think also to, to model self and collective care. And start with self-care. Start with yourself, right? And we all know this. Um it's not good practice to send emails outside of working hours and, you know, but like take your vacations, encourage people to take their vacations and plug from work, right? Model that because without the leaders uh, modeling this, it's very hard for an entire team or organization um, to, to sustainably move toward a more compassionate culture. Um and I think just the last piece of advice would be to um, just hold a long view of change, right? Um, change takes time. It takes trying things out, kind of feeling awkward about it, making some mistakes, and ultimately learning over and over and over again. Um so kind of either or thinking like, oh, this is good or this is bad or um, this is right or this is wrong. And then uh, kind of, you know, trying something out once and it fails and it's like, okay, this is not, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, that, you know, that's fine, but actually change does take time. And chances are, you know, um, we've lived decades practicing a certain way of being over and over and over again. It's ingrained in our neuroanatomy, um, in the in my conditioning. So of course it takes time to unlearn and to to relearn a different way of, of being. You are saying all my things. It's like I set you up to say all these things. I swear in my life, people, I did not. She is coming up with all this brilliance without prompting because, and I, 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 I joke, but like, so we are starting to work, are starting to promote our mental health skills training. So I have a co-creator, my friend, Brandy Payne. She and I are both psychological health and safety advisors, and we've created this certificate program for HR professionals and leaders to learn these mental health skills. Because I, th- I don't think we've been taught. I, taught. I think there's a gap in our leadership education and our management training on having these skills at work and soft skills. I'm going to use that air quote. Anybody who wants to hear my soapbox, get me on my soapbox about soft skills and how that should not be a thing, should listen to season five, episode one of this podcast. <laughs> it's right there. It's I have quite a hate on for that language. But The point is that it's cool to hear a recognized scientist, researcher, expert such as yourself validate the work that Brandy and I have done within this certificate because we have a module on on self-awareness and self-care. 
for the leader. We have a, a we have a module on critical thinking and how we can use curiosity and having that learning mindset to stay open to navigate some of the systemic um, governance framework stuff that we are we are experiencing in our workplaces. This mental health continues to change. Research continues to change. We're never going to get it right. And I think it's that critical thinking, that curiosity, that will be the skill we need to learn in this space so that we can stay on top of things. We can stay more self-aware so we can continue to evolve in our leadership in our organizations. And I think you just, yeah, you validated what I thought we knew, but it turns out we do know what we're talking about. So go team. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I want to take your course. (laughs) Well, you are welcome. Absolutely welcome. Any of you listening, totally welcome. Jane, this has been so, so awesome. Before we go, can you share with um, everyone how they can get a hold of you or the the Compassion Institute, learn more about your programming, all that good stuff? Yeah, I guess the best place to find us would be on our website. Um, It's uh, compassioninstitute.com. We're also on LinkedIn. Um, Yeah, I would say that's the best place. Amazing. I will link to all of those places in the show notes of the podcast as well. Thank you again for sharing your brilliance and your insight and your passion for this. I felt so aligned. This was as good as I hoped it would be. So thank you so, so much. Oh, thank you so much, Lindsay. This was a highlight to my day. I felt that um, sisterhood as well. Amazing. Take care and I'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks for joining me for another awesome episode of the Mental Health for Leaders podcast. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, please go to mentalhealthforleaders.com and subscribe to have these episodes delivered right to your inbox each week. You'll also find all the show notes, links, and resources that my guests mentioned on the show and the link to the Guide to Influence and Impact at Work freebie I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. You're listening to this podcast because you know our people need us more than ever, but being a people leader and an HR professional is especially hard right now. If the thought of figuring out how to best support your people and yourself feels overwhelming and impossibly hard, let's talk. I don't promise I can make it easy, but I can make it simple, so let's do that together. Go to mentalhealthforleaders.com and download the guide to influence and impact at work now. Until next time, take good care. And as always, call me if you need me.